Hello again, guys, gals, and ghouls, and welcome to a special bonus episode of History is Gay. And just in time for Halloween, what follows is an awesome interview we got to do with not our first, but our second queer ghost hunter this month, and one of the founders of the group, Shane McClelland. You'll get to hear all about his thoughts on queerness and the paranormal world, but first, wanted to get into a few announcements before we let you get into the interview. Firstly, as of the release of this minisode, there's only a short amount of time left to send in your very own gay haunting card, a la ours, that we gave you during our Queer Ghosts episode. We really want to hear from you. What would the telltale signs of your haunting be? You can send them to us in the form of a voice memo or another recording, or if you don't feel comfy using your own voice, that's okay. Feel free to email us a written version with your name and your pronouns, and we'll read it out loud in our special Letters and Queries episode we'll be featuring them all in. We're extending the deadline to November 5th, so we hope to hear all of your delightful queer ghostly shenanigans. Second, we have really super exciting news. I know we've been teasing this for a long time, but... Starting November 1st, we're gonna have a whole new line of shirts up on the History is Gay store just in time for holiday shopping. So if you want to tell the world just how geographic and worldly of a queer you are, you can show off with a new land gay, ocean lesbian, or coastal bisexual shirt, all done with amazing, amazing art by a really wonderful friend of the pod, V.C. Silverman. And uh, these were inspired by our episode on queer erotic literature in the medieval Arab world. So just go to historyisgaypodcast.com and click on shop and you can wear some really, really awesome clothes. Or maybe, maybe get your honey some really awesome, cool, queer clothes that rep your favorite podcast in time for the holidays. And now, here's our interview with Shane. Hey everybody, this is Lee coming at you today. I don't have Gretchen with me, but we've got a special bonus for you as we creep ever closer to Halloween. Earlier in the month, we talked with Joe Applebaum, who is one of the producers of the Queer Ghost Hunters show. And today I have one of the investigators himself. I have Shane McClellan. Hello! How are hey, you? how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. This is been really fun to do going into our spookiest season of the year and it was really fun talking to joe and i wanted to make sure that we got to talk to you know somebody who was a part of the group before the show started so thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me yeah of course i'm, yeah. I'm excited to do this yeah so let's let's start with you um can you just kind of introduce yourself and who you are at, uh, in the queer ghost hunters for those who don't know yeah sure um, so I'm Shane, and um, I'm the co-founder and team leader of the Queer Ghost Hunters, which is an LGBTQ group of paranormal investigators who specifically focus on investigating queer hauntings, whether it's um, in a queer location or actual queer people that we believe are haunting a place. And we do that to help uncover, you know, lost and forgotten queer history and stories. Mm -hmm. So the so the group is officially called the Stonewall Columbus Queer Ghost Hunters Group, right? So you said you're one of the co-founders. How did you guys get started with all of this? How does one fall into ghost hunting and specifically yeah. looking for <laughs> queer ghosts? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where it just it was like serendipity and everything just kind of lined up at one point and you know we saw it and took the opportunity. So I've always been kind of interested in the in the paranormal, largely because of experiences I had when I was younger. And then I was actually working with Lori, the other co-founder of the group at Stonewall Columbus, and Lori was in charge of kind of like the uh, the programming at Stonewall and she was invited to go on a ghost hunt and one day she was telling me about it and I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, that sounds amazing. I want to go. Can I go? And <laughs> she was like, yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. So we started investigating and the group that we were investigating with wasn't entirely queer. Like there were some heterosexual folks in there too. Mm-hmm. And um, you got to have a token one in each group, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we th- we thought it was strange anyway. Like so, like we do several investigations with them, and we thought it was strange that you know, even though there's you know there's gays, there's lesbians in this group, no one's ever asking if any of the spirits are queer. Mm-hmm. And so we like this is on like one of those like six hour drives back at like five o'clock in the morning, and we're just like <laughs> talking, and we're like, you know, we should start doing that. Like, let's make a point to like ask these questions and like look for queer spirits and so we did and then like we made contact with someone who was like hey i think i'm like a spirit that was like hey i think i'm like what you guys are describing Mm -hmm. and so we turned it into this whole like philosophy because we realized that you know if you're talking to someone from like let's say 1850 like the language they use to describe themselves as you know like loving another man or like however they're identifying on the spectrum um is going to be different than how we do it now so Mm -hmm, exactly yeah yeah and that eventually, like, word got around that we were doing it. And so we decided to turn it into a group at Stonewall. And yeah, it just kind of went from there. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was, uh, we, we talked a little bit with Joe about the fact that language has, has changed and you have to be very specific about what you're talking about. I think you said in, you know, one episode, right? Like, the word homosexual didn't even exist for a lot of these people. That didn't come up until, you know, late 1800s. So, or not even late in 200s, like early, early 1900s, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, it's really fascinating. Did you guys have to go through some sort of trial and error growing pains to try to figure those kind of things out? Or did you just kind of dive into research right ahead? I know you guys had Katie as your researcher. Did you guys start with her? or Did she kind of come on board later? Um, so originally, it was really just like, Lori and I, Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until we actually like formed a, um, like a larger public group that we started meeting folks that we were like, Hey, you're pretty cool. Let, let's have a little like smaller group that does investigations. Mm. Cause like the actual Stonewall Columbus group, I forget at this point, but it had like 250 people in it. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so you can't really like take everyone <laughs> on an investigation all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a result of, or prior to that, I guess, um, we had through trial and error, like determined that, we really needed to kind of have like a game plan of approaching these entities because otherwise, you know, they're not going to understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So we, we kind of just broke it down and, you know, instead of saying gay, I'll be like, you know, I'm a man who loves other men like romantically and sexually. And then, you know, Lori as a lesbian might say, you know, I'm a woman who loves other women romantically and sexually. And we kind of just, you know, go around like how you you just break it down into, I guess, what it is rather than a word that is used to tell what it is. Right, exactly. That's wonderful. And it's amazing that you get such responses by having the circle open up and yeah. and share their own stories. 
So you you said that due to some some experiences in your childhood, that's kind of what, you know, had you kind of dive into this. Do you mind telling us what drew you to ghost hunting in the first place, other than Lori just kind of going like, hey, jump on in on this investigation? Yeah, so um, growing up, my, my parents, well, the house they still live in, um, it's haunted. Mm. And when I was a kid, and I'm talking like, I don't know, like, seven or eight, something like that. I remember like vividly, I remember telling my parents that like there is the house is haunted, that someone walks down the hallway at night and like comes into my room or will like stand in my closet and like they never believed me. Okay. Mm. But like I eventually just got used to it. Like there was it never did anything. It was very like it was more observant and mm-hmm. then like maybe almost like a residual type thing where it just kinda like follows the same path. Like, no big deal. It's not doing anything. Maybe doesn't even realize I'm there. But after I moved out, when I went away to college, it apparently was like, hey, no one's paying attention to me anymore. And as a result, it started, instead of going, like, into my room, it was going into my parents' room. Oh, no. And then the way the house is structured, like, you can kind of see down the hallway from the living room. And my dad was like, sometimes if you're sitting there, like, watching TV, he's like, you can 100% see a man just, like, start walking down the hallway. Oh, wow. And anyway, so that just, like, like I always just had that with me. And then, you know, the paranormal shows really started coming out and like, oh, gosh, 2004, 2005 with mm. like, Ghost Hunters and then yeah. Ghost <laughs> And so I always, I, I don't know, like, I always just enjoyed those. And it just became, like, a, a thing I enjoyed, you know, reading about and trying to experience in different places. Very cool. So what was it like to go from just the group kind of doing its thing to having Stu and Joe come into the picture and say, hey, we want to do a docuseries on you? Did anything change in the dynamic and the way that you guys approach things or did it add a weird new element? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it definitely changed like everything and not in like, uh, it, I don't know, it, it's kind of hard to explain. So, you know, normally when you do an investigation and I have, have you been on a, an investigation before? I haven't. I have always wanted to go on one though. Okay. Well, we'll have to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> you kind of go in with like a little bit of a plan and then like people are doing their own thing or like you're in pairs or like the group splits in half, whatever's going on, like you're in different areas. Mm. But when we started filming it, it became, you know, imperative that we always have someone with a camera with us. (laughs) So it was like, you know, how many people have cameras or like, is Stu gonna like want to be like when we're doing this room for whatever reason, like, does he want to be in there? Or so it became a lot more focused on planning. And then what ended up happening was like, we had to learn how to shoot in the darkness, you know, like how to make sure that we were catching things on camera and everything. So there's a huge learning curve on the very, very first investigation we did with Stu. And I don't know. So but like I think now it's more fluid. Like everyone kind of knows, like, if we're doing something, then we need to be like, watching like where the camera is kind of so we're not in the way and make sure like your flashlights are pointed a certain way and all you know just like all of these things like at this point it's just kind of second nature so that way Stu doesn't have to stop us and be like hey we have to like finish what you're doing but we're gonna have to like reshoot the start of this because someone was shining their flashlight at the camera the entire time <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure the entities are very patient with all of the intricacies of of shooting film <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because it's like you don't want to like stop talking or interacting with them. So we'll do like, we'll just keep rolling, you know, and then Stu will be like, well, I got like most of that. 
So like, it'll be fine, you know, or <laughs> he'll be like, I need to get you guys, you know, like walking back up the stairs because of X reason, you know, like, it's just, like, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it changed just a little, but like, like I said, I think we've all kind of figured out how to like work with it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so it's, it's more normal now. Awesome. Do you have a favorite entity that you've encountered or place that you've gone on your investigations? Oh gosh. Whether it's been on the show or before they came into the picture. So I think I think my favorite location is the old Licking County Jail, which is in Ohio. And it's actually not too far from Columbus, fortunately. But there's a an entity there. Her name is May. And we have some we did some like quick little videos with May. Like they're on YouTube with the the Geobox, which is this box that like kind of allows for more direct communication with spirits, like theoretically. Hmm. And yeah, she just has like, she, I think she had like three husbands. They all like mysteriously died. Wow. Um, she eventually gets arrested and then she commits suicide by setting herself on fire in the jail cell. Like oh she God. just has this like, I know, like this like crazy, crazy history, but she's always very interactive when you're there. Like she either loves talking to us or apparently she just loves talking in general. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, but I th- she's she's probably my favorite that I guess basically at this point we get to visit from time to time. Oh, that's really neat. That's fun. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about just the way that what you're doing is educating people about lost queer history. What role specifically do you see ghost hunting playing in that process? In, in like, discovering history? Yeah. Yeah, so um, this was kind of... After we decided to turn it into a group, this was like at the forefront of our minds because we're getting to talk to these people who lived, you know, well before our time in most instances. But probably even more importantly is that in order to find places and go to locations where we think there's going to be a like a queer haunting, we do a ton of research. And this research is all queer focused. Like you're reading it with the intent to find something queer. And, you know, so you like, you start looking for people who are like a confirmed bachelor, yes, and, <laughs> you know, or like a woman who, you know, she, she never got married, but she always had a roommate mm-hmm. and people were very willing to talk about this kind of stuff in newspapers. And it was all read. I'm assuming kind of like tongue in cheek. Like everyone in town knows exactly what you're saying and we just don't talk about it. <laughs> mm. But like, that's the only way that history got recorded because, you know, it's not like these people were writing books or anything, but it gives you a really, you know, unique insight into kind of what life was like for queer people during those times. And there's, you know, the more you look for it, the more you find that queer people have just always existed and that we've just ripped their page out of the history books. Exactly. Yeah. Literally been systematically erased. Yeah, we've discovered so much. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this thing that started out as just like a silly project. And then the responses that we've gotten from people who have been able to, through hearing some of these stories, just feel a tie to the community in a way that they never had before, knowing kind of where we've been, where we've come from as a connected group of people, no matter where you are in the world. And I think that's so special. And what I love about what you guys are doing is that you're also just finding, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Joe, but you're finding just normal everyday people who were having queer lives and queer experiences without having to be, you know, like, we're gonna talk to the ghost of Abraham Lincoln and 
see yeah. what friendship his confirmed bachelorness was all about. Like, so yeah, I really appreciate that. Do you have in the first season you told the story of the Marymount Pilgrim colony? Yeah. Uh, yeah. which, which I loved. That was so much fun. For those of you who haven't seen it, please go watch that episode. It's really fun to see everybody running around <laughs> in costumes and doing silly reenactments. Uh, but do you have any any other favorite queer stories from history, either things that you've discovered while doing investigations or just things that have come up in your own interest? Um, Gosh, it's funny. We ended up doing like that whole thing with Marymount because I was like obsessed with it after I read about it. <laughs> Like, like one of those, like, I'm not going to let this go. I think we should do this. I think we should do this. Can we go there? But I don't, there's a, most of the, the, the history, like queer history is really just kind of, is more sad, like anything that you can find that's recorded. So I don't know if there's something else out there that's like really unknown that I think is like overly noteworthy. Mm. Um, in terms of a place I would want to go, I want to go to the upstairs lounge and Mm. Orleans, mm-hmm. but that's not really like I think I feel like that's actually getting a lot more attention now than it did a few years ago. Yeah, um, and I don't know. I still I still want to go to like the Lizzie Borden house. Yes, um, yeah. We just was... we just did an episode about Lizzie Borden. Yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. Did you cover the whole like she might have been a lesbian thing? Yes, yeah. That is uh so the structure of our our episodes is we do like usually if we're focusing on a person we'll do a bio and then we'll do a whole section of like why we think they're gay and then we end every episode with a silly how gay were they rating and we went into we went into the the theories that she and Bridget were having a lurid affair and that's why the murders happened which we were disappointed to find out mostly came from a fictional novel but that they had it had a lot of merit in the fact that later on in her life she uh you know most likely fell in love with a glamorous actress yeah. named Nancy yeah. Neal. so that was a lot of fun yeah and there's a there's most most stories aren't as notable as that but there's a lot of stories where people who had like even just a little bit of wealth or um you know like a way to increase their social standing within the community they were allowed to be more openly homosexual mm. or but well, there's even there's even folks who were able to you know be more trans mm-hmm. and it wasn't really viewed as as bad <laughs> right so much as like they were just like accepted for whatever they were doing mm-hmm. or the necessities at the time you know dressing yeah. Dressing in a certain way, going off to war, being able to yes. go to see, uh, you know, folks who maybe were assigned female at birth and then dressing more masculinely, trying to find a wealth of opportunities that could not be afforded to them Correct. otherwise. So, yeah, I love that there's so much because it's history and because, you know, we we have the we, we have the luxury, but also the responsibility about looking at things from a modern queer lens and interpreting them in that we have to make sure we're not attaching modern sensibilities to things, but also because it's history and everybody's dead, we can bring up any interpretations that feel relatable to people, which I think is fun. Oh, definitely. And Mm -hmm. I I think like your, your point of being, um, you know, cognizant and sensitive about what we're saying and about who we're applying these labels to is important because we don't know for certain that, you know, some of these people were in any way queer so much as they were just, you know, trying to, especially like when it comes to the war stuff, maybe they were just like, hell yeah, I want to go fight in the war. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
like it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but you know, on like a, a scale situation, I think at some point that was you know probably a, an excellent opportunity if you wanted to be more you know masculine presenting. To you know, it's a great chance to go do that. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Do you have like if you were to put together the idea of an ideal uh, making contact with a, a certain type of entity? Do you have any idea what that would be? Like, do you have like a, oh man, I'd really love to talk to somebody who had this experience, or it'd be really great to make contact with an entity who was this? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I feel like at this point, we've pretty much hit the entire spectrum of (laughs) like the queer community um, in terms of like who we've got to make contact with. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, which is like, it's kind of remarkable. But again, you know, once you start breaking it down and describing kind of like trans in a way that is like, just like brass tacks as to what I'm talking about. <laughs> Entities are kind of like, oh, wow, hey, that I, I relate to that. And then you, you know, you, you start having whatever interaction that, that's possible in, in the moment. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I actually, sorry, not to like bring this up again, but um, my like more recent obsession after Marymount was doing mm. stuff on the civil war and actually mm. um, trying to make contact with those, um, I guess it was women who either, who, you know, dressed up as men to go fight in the war, but, you know, to try to make contact with them and to kind of like deduce whether or not it's, you know, like, were, were they lesbians? Were they, were they trans? Or like, you know, what was going on? Right. You know, what was the, the motive, the motivation behind that? Yeah. Being able to actually talk to, talk to the people who yeah. were interpreting, which is really interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'd imagine there's a lot of potential in going to like civil war battlefields is that like on a on a list for you guys? Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> we have places where we're like, let's definitely do this. But you know, like getting everyone there and then like getting all the equipment, we have to always be kind of like cognizant of the budget for that. Mm-hmm. Plus, we've never filmed like exclusively outside, <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like there's probably a, a learning curve with that, and it's probably something we should like try to practice before we just you know get everyone together on a civil war battlefield and start shooting <laughs> right yeah probably probably <laughs> a lot of planning to go into that one yeah <laughs> um so yeah we we kind of we asked this to joe as well but i wanted to ask you because i know i remember you talking a little bit about this in one of the episodes but you've done investigations at convents and prisons and i assume there's asylums theaters what makes these type of locations the locations that you guys are going to in hopes that you're going to find queer entities. What separates these sorts of places as haunted locations, as opposed to this house has been haunted for years and years and years, and people do paranormal investigations here all the time? What makes those specifically important for your group? Yeah, so um, the, I, I guess, like, currently, like, the great part about prisons and institutions, asylums, is that they had they records. And so we know that people were incarcerated because of, let's say, sodomy, or, you know, they were institutionalized because they were homosexual. Whatever descriptor that they're using, we can go through and we can look at the records and we can tell that, you know, like as a community, our population was more heavily incarcerated and institutionalized than the general population. And my, my theory in terms of hauntings is that it's more focused on like the energy. So either the energy of, you know, just a fantastic experience that you had and like, for whatever reason, you know, you're not like letting that go and you want to like continue to relive that, like your energy is just very strong there. Or 
maybe it was a really awful, horrific experience. And again, you just can't let it go. And like, that's, that's like why you're like continuing to like relive it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And prisons and institutions give us the ability to have that energy. So whether it was, you know, you're in prison, let's say for sodomy, you know, you're kind of, you've been basically forcefully outed and, you know, maybe, and maybe it's not like an ideal situation, but maybe you get to live more authentically then. And that's probably the only time in your life you've been able to do that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And then, and I guess, you know, how, how meaningful that would be to be able to have a group of people come in and say, Hey, it's all right. Yeah. And I think that's why we end up getting just very positive reactions from the entities that we do eventually make contact with, because it's the first time probably ever that someone said, this is okay. Like, it's okay to be who you are. Do you think that, do you think that process has the potential to, I mean, you know, if we're talking about theories about spirits and the afterlife and things like that, like you said, you know, they're probably holding on to certain experiences. Do you think that the process of what y'all are doing and opening up and giving them the space to know that it's okay is doing anything to give these entities some sort of peace or the ability to let go? I think it's entirely possible. Like one of the things that our group has never really focused on is the whole like concept of helping spirits move on, I mm. guess. <laughs> um, and part of that is because we feel like it brings up too many questions of religion. Mm-hmm. And since none of us are really like quite certain what it is specifically that we're making contact with, it's just easier to, I guess, like just avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think if, if someone was, here haunting a place like specifically because of what happened to them in regards to you know their sexuality or their gender that we we would definitely i guess like at the end of the day be giving them some type of closure to that situation to let them you know letting them know that it's okay and that you know like thing like the world is completely different than probably anything they could even remotely imagine Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's fun yeah that's that's good that's i mean just just looking at the the experience that uh, Madeline had in following y'all back in the car. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my God, what's going on? What is all of this? <laughs> I'm intrigued, yeah. but overwhelmed. Take me back to the convent. Um, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, I just kind of wanted to end things with a, with a fun little question of like, do you, do you have a favorite ghost story to tell or from growing up other than, you know, oh, your man. own experiences of, growing up in a haunted house i wish i would have known that before and i would have like read some i know i used to have this book and i can't think of what it's called i can like see the the cover of it but it was like oh man it's like white and red and black mm, um, mm. and it's got the most horrifying illustrations you could ever imagine for a children's book yeah yeah yes. uh what is it Spook- uh, i think it's scary stories to tell in the dark that was yeah, a, something like that, that was yeah. a big one for me <laughs> uh, the 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 one with the the woman who had the ribbon the ri- oh my gosh yeah uh, that was i just saw something about that the other day too it was like it was like on it was on facebook or something um but yeah but the no the her her head coming off with the ribbon mm-hmm. yeah those were pivotal. <laughs> those were pivotal for me growing up <laughs> being interested in spooky things i remember yeah. that i'm, I'm so sad because they've republished the books and they have new illustrations, and they're so tame in comparison. Oh, no, the <laughs> illustrations are definitely what made that book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it was actually banned 
in schools because of <laughs> the artwork in Probably. that book, which is ridiculous. <laughs> well, uh, well, wonderful. That's pretty much all the questions I have. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about or mention that we haven't discussed? Do you have any other projects that you do outside of Queer Ghost Hunters that you want to talk about? Um, oh, goodness. So first, I guess you can um, find you know Queer Ghost Hunters at QueerGhostHunters.com or on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We're, we're pretty active on social media and um, interactive as well. But then, goodness, I'm trying to think. The only other, my next project is a book on LGBTQ Columbus, where I live, Columbus, Ohio. And we're going through and finding the, um, we're kind of trying to find as a community, our oldest photographs, and then use that as a starting point to bring it forward, to tell the as best we can, the history and the story of the queer community in this city. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so fantastic. Is there a, is there anywhere people can go online if they're in the area to contribute to the project or anything like that? Well, so it's um, that one in particular, there, there's not like any way to, I guess, like actively participate right now, unless you have photos that you would love for me to see. And then you can just reach out to me on Facebook or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really it's a it's a unique and interesting experience trying to reach out to like our community elders, some of which are just, you know, like they're exceptionally old at this point. And then, you know, a lot of them also live in places like Florida or California now. Mm -hmm. you know, they moved away because the Ohio weather is typically less than desirable. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, you know, it's, 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 been, it's been a lot of fun. But, in, you know, it'll be ready for purchase in June of 2019. So. Wonderful. We'll make sure to make sure to let everybody know about that. Put it out on our, our socials. Should be really fun. Thank you, uh, thank you again so much, Shane, for talking with me. It's been really fun. We're really excited to see the new episodes that are going to be dropping. I guess, well, I guess by the time that folks listen to this, yeah, <laughs> we'll have dropped. But we're really excited for everything that's coming down the pipeline for Queer Ghost Hunters, and we are hoping to funnel some folks to your Patreon, get you guys some more funding, and. I'm I'm yeah, excited definitely. to see where you go from here. Yeah, no, this the the conclusion of this season is it's amazing and it's gonna be um it's gonna be a wild ride. So wonderful. All right. Well thank you so much again. Yeah. Oh man, well so thanks for coming along with us for the spooktacular ride that was October. And we will see you again on November fifth for our regular episode. That one's going to be following up on the Oscar Wilde legacy as we tell you all about his beautiful loser lesbian niece, Dolly Wilde. And as always, you can find History is Gay on Twitter at History is Gay Pod, Tumblr at History is Gay Podcast, and you can drop us a line with questions, suggestions, gay haunting cards, or just to say hi at historyisgaypodcast at gmail.com. And as usual, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. You can support us on Patreon. And until next time, stay queer and stay curious.